everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. I tell you, you can tell from the arrangement that today is a little bit different. And I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this day for a long, long time. I have a dear friend of mine that is with us today. and We're going to have an opportunity to hear his story and talk a little bit about him. And, uh, and it's really a story about God and God's grace and God's goodness uh, toward us. But I have with me today Cyprian Yamagira. Now, many of you are Yamagira Cyprian. Uh, many of you have met him. He he has been a part of our church for some time. He greets in, in one of our doorways on uh, Sunday, and uh, we have uh, had the opportunity to get to know him uh, through the years. And so today uh, is kind of the culmination of a long journey that uh, Cyprian and I have taken together uh, over the last few years. I got to tell you about the first time I met him, and it kind of sets the stage for that, and, and then we'll talk together, uh, Cyprian. But the first time I met you, uh, you came to visit our church after coming to America. Um, you came to visit our church. You had been, I think, attending another church, but you came to visit our church. And then you made an appointment to see me that week. And so he came by the office. I had not met him on that Sunday, but he came by the office. And, um, and he then shared with me his life story. And I want to tell you something. In over 46 years of being a pastor, I'd never heard a story like that. And after he finished telling me the story, um, we concluded our meeting together. He walked out. And, and I tell you something, I just had to sit there for a while. I just kind of sat and quiet and, and just kind of processed what was going on. And over the next week, God began to do something in my heart, Cyprian. He, he kind of laid it on my heart that this was a story that everyone needs to hear. This, this is a story that we need to share. It needs to be written. And I felt like God was kind of prompting me to write his story, but I'd only met him that one time. And so that's kind of strange. What, what do you do with that? Uh, and then the next week, I look at my calendar and you had made another appointment to come and see me. And, uh, and so you came back. And when you walked in that day, if you'll remember, I said to you, Cyprian, I'm so glad that you've made uh, the appointment to come see me because I have a question for you. And then you said this to me. What did you say? I said that I also have a question for you. All right, so you also had a question for me, and then you said you... I said, go ahead and tell me, and then I will tell you the question I have for you. All right, so he said, you go first. And I said, I know this is crazy because I don't know you. Um, I've only met you one time, but I really feel like God wants me to write your story in a book. And, and, uh, and then you said, well... I said, well, brother, I just came to ask you if you could help me write my book story. So God kind of confirmed in that moment, and we set out on a journey together. And so every week we would meet, and I would hear more of his story, and I would have to pull more of his story from him uh, as we walked through that together, and it's been quite a journey. And today, the book is finished, and it's available for you, and you can pick that up in the concourse. You can buy it on Amazon or, or on uh, Barnes & Noble, but it's available to you. It's called Christ, My Only Hope, uh, which is also a ministry 
that we were able to start a nonprofit organization that Cyprian uh, uh, works in, and uh, we'll maybe have a minute to talk a little bit about uh, our work through that ministry as well. I need to say this to you, though, because anytime we talk about a book and make that book for uh, available to you, I need to tell you that I don't make anything off of this. There is no value to me uh, economically. I, I really felt like God wanted me to write this book, and I did that as a gift to this ministry. I believe in what Cyprian is doing and what God has called him to do, and so the efforts of putting this book together, anything that we make off of the book goes right back into the ministry, and the ministry is focused on sharing the gospel uh, of Jesus. So just so you have that bit of information, now we can talk about your story. So let's talk together about that. Where were you born? I was born in Rwanda. All right, so you were born in Rwanda, in a small, uh, Rwanda is a small country and kind of in the middle of Africa. Um, now you were born, were you born in a large city, small city, village, where? Small village. All right, your small village had no running water. Absolutely not. No electricity. No. No hospitals. Absolutely not. Uh, most of the houses or all of the houses in that village are made out of mud or dirt or anything that they could get together to bake into brick and make their houses have thatch roofs on them. And, and uh, that's where you were born. Now, there's a lot of uh, uh, culture that is connected to that village and to your growing up. And one of those is that in your particular village in the culture that you grew up in, the birth of a child is a big thing. It is a time of celebration. Everybody comes to the house where the baby is born and they all celebrate and they bring gifts and it's a lot of fun. But your birth was different. Yes, it was different. Rather than being a celebration, what happened? It was a, a period of sadness. Sadness and fear? Yes, because of how he was born. Okay, so Cyprian was born with extreme deformities in his hands and in his legs and in his feet. Uh, one of his eyes was closed at birth, did not open until several months after birth. But the deformities that he had were so great that the people in the village were afraid. Yeah, they were. They didn't know what you were, in, in fact. Um, your mom had, she was spiritual, but tell us a little bit about your mom and dad. I, I, it, My mom, she, ha, she was treated uh, by the village as someone who has a special power right. to appease the spirits. Uh, to appease the spirits. So it was more demonic or a witchcraft kind of, yes. of yeah. uh, a spiritual person that she had. They worshipped idols. Yeah, they did. Um, they were alcoholics. Yeah, now, were. how in the world were they alcoholics? You just can't, you don't have a liquor store on the corner well, there. So. It's a traditional alcohol, banana beer and, banana, and sorghum. Okay, so sorghum, banana beer, no matter where you are, you can figure out how to ferment stuff and make beer. So yes, yes. they figured out how to do that. That was a big part of their life, and they were alcoholics. Yeah. Um, so after you were born, one of the things that happened with the village is rather than celebrating your birth, they were frightened. They thought that this was a bad omen from the spirits. Many of the people in the village wanted to kill you immediately yeah. yes. as a child. Um, your mom and dad really didn't want you. No, they didn't. I mean, when you when, when some of your earliest memories as you grow up, thinking about your mom and dad, um, do you do you have many memories of them? Yes, uh, I had the bad memory of my childhood. Uh, I never really received any welcome from my own family, like uh, 
Like, for example, the words, I love you from mom. I never heard that, you know. Okay, so never mom hugged you, never mom no. told you you're special, never uh, yeah. mom said I love you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so kind of growing up in that experience, in fact, another big deal in the culture that you grew up in um, is the naming of children. In fact, it was the dad's responsibility to name children, and sometimes they would take time um, to process that before they would name a child to see if uh, kind of the personality. But your dad named you immediately after you were born. And, yeah. and what did he name you? He named me Yamuragia, which means unknown. So he named you Yama. Yamuragia. Yamuragia, which means unknown. Unknown. I don't know what you are. Yes. Yeah. And so he named you unknown. Many in the village, I, if I remember. Uh, thought that you had the spirit of a hyena or a lion or some demon. Demon, yeah. Um, they didn't know what you were, but they knew it was bad. They knew it was dangerous to them. Okay. And, and so they f felt that you needed to be killed. But by God's grace, um, he protected you. Yeah, and, he did. And you were able to, to, to live and, and grow. But even as a small child... Um, you became homeless, I guess, what, about five, six? Yeah, I, I was homeless at a very young age. Between five to six years old, I was already homeless. Okay, so you were on the streets yes. begging for food. Anything you ate, you yeah. got through begging. Yeah. Clothes that you wore, you got through. Where did you sleep? Where did you stay uh -huh. during that time? On the bridge or, or in the market or in the forest. Okay, now when you say under a bridge, we think of these big concrete bridges, but no. you're talking about a footbridge across a stream. Yes. Um, and you stayed in the bush sometimes, and it was frightening, right? Yeah, it was very frightening. Dangerous? Mm, dangerous, yeah. So for a five- or six-year-old to be on your own, sleeping wherever you could find a place, um, what did you think about God? I mean, did you ever have any thoughts of God in the earlier years of your life? Well, at that time, uh, uh, the one who created me for me was really not good, not loving. I just uh, couldn't uh, reconcile with the, the way I am and the God who made me. So you're thinking if, if God is loving and he made me like I am, he's not loving. Yeah. He wouldn't have done this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you felt you were cursed by God too. Yeah, I thought I was a curse, you know, as the villagers thought. So they said that to you on a regular they, basis? Yeah, spit on my face and everything. Spit on you, kicked you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember you saying that you were dependent upon them even for clothes that you wore, and sometimes that was humiliating. Yeah, yeah I remember uh, sometimes they will give me like a girl's clothes and I will wear it, and that's also add more be teased, you know. Okay, so... If somebody gave you a dress and you didn't have anything else to wear. Yes, I would wear it. You would wear that and it would add to the shame. And the children were brutal. Yeah, they, they, they were. They, yeah. they, they took cue from mom and dad and they were abusive as well. Yeah. And it really got to a point where it was so dark for you yeah. um, that about eight years old. Yeah, it was uh, somewhere between age eight and ten that I just thought there was no reason for me to exist. So... I abandoned hope and attempted suicide. So you attempted suicide, yeah. and God protected you again. Yeah, he did. God protected me from myself and from my village. Yeah. Okay. And, um, wow. So God protected you from yourself People, and from your people. village. Yeah. Thank you, Elliot. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
Wow. Now, it was after that, though, uh, that God begins to do another work in a very strange way because you did experience love, but in yes, I did. a very unbelievable place. Yeah, definitely. There was a woman who lived in a village that was not far from your village. Yeah. She was Muslim. Actually, she was a, a Muslim, a prostitute Muslim. So she was a Muslim prostitute, and she came to your village. You don't know why she came to your village, but she came to your village. Yes. Now, tell us about that encounter You, when you first saw her. Well, when I first saw her, actually, she was the only person who approached me, and she was the only person who told me the kind words and, and even asked me if I was willing to go and stay with her. So she was kind to you, didn't spit on you, didn't kick yeah, you? Yeah, kick me, no. no the speaking. first time in your life you ever had someone kind. Yes. And she, with mercy and compassion for you, asked if you would come and live with her. Yes, she did, which was an unthinkable thing to do because even her kids did not like me, but she just uh, brought me to her hearts anyway. Okay, so she had other children, of yes, course, birth control issues there. and So she had other children. The children were not accepting of you. They were me, you they, know, teasing too. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. they teased you just like everybody else did yes. about the way you looked yeah. and about things that happened. Yeah. Now, you came and lived with her, but that was the first time you had really a place to live. Yeah, she was always for me. And, and you had a roof over your head for the first time. Yeah, for the, actually, it was the, for the first time that I was treated like a human being. Wow. So, eight, ten years old, first time you were treated like a human being. Yeah. Um, it became kind of hard for her to take care of you, though. Yes, it was. More one month already was uh, too difficult for her to keep providing food. And that's why she couldn't keep feeding me. And in, through difficult decisions, she just thought she couldn't keep me. So she decided to still help me but bringing me in a Catholic orphanage. So she was aware of a Catholic orphanage and went with you yeah. to that Catholic orphanage to see if, if she could find a place for you to stay. Yeah, yeah. So she was able to do that. And yeah. so you then entered that Catholic orphanage. You yeah. were able to uh, go to school. Yes. But the teasing still continued from kids. And yes. it yeah. took on a new level, right? Yes. Because you had never gone to school, didn't have yeah. the background now. They were saying that you were not smart and... Yeah, I actually remember when I was in the Catholic orphanage, uh, I remember a child come to me asking, how old are you? What is your birthday? My response was, I don't know. And they were, they were teasing at me. So because of that, actually, I announced that I was born January 1st, 1980. Okay. So a child's coming up to you asking when your birthday is, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, when your birthday is. And so you just made up a date. I made up something. January 1st, 1980. Yes. And on your driver's license right now, what is your birthday? January 1st, 1980. No, January 1st, 1980. So My you just made that. Too. That became your birthday. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so now you're in the Catholic orphanage. You're, you're hearing about God. Um, are, are, is your attitude uh, about God any better? Are you still angry? No, I was still angry. Okay, angry at a God that would make me the way. Yeah, and beside uh, the 
something even horrible started, so I continued to having difficulties. You know? Okay, and, and this was the dark time, in, if you remember in your history, uh, not only did we come to a dark time in Cyprian's life, this is a dark time in the life of everyone who lived in Rwanda because this is now the time of the genocide in Rwanda. And in 100 days in Rwanda at that time, um, there were over seven... Over 750,000 innocent people. So killed. over 750,000 50, innocent people were massacred during a 100-day period of time. Yes. And um, as it was getting, as it was getting, building toward that, um, there are two groups of people that uh, are two basic tribes in, in uh, Rwanda. There's the Hutu and, Tutsi. and the Tutsi. Yeah. And there were self-assigned um, um, militia on both sides. And in the early days, as it begins to build toward that, yeah. uh, they would stop people on the road and ask for their papers. Yeah. And if it was a Hutu... Um, group of militia that stopped you and you have Hutu papers, you're okay. But yeah. if you had Tutsi papers, they would beat you. Yeah. You you didn't have any papers. Well, I didn't. And in fact, at that time in the Catholic orphanage, many children didn't have the clue of which you know, ethnic groups they were. Of course, in my case, I didn't have any paper, which made be beaten by both sides. So whoever stopped you beat you. Yeah. Because they didn't know, you didn't know who you were, where you were from. Yeah. Now, when it got to its, its zenith at the worst moment, yeah. one of the things that we know from reading is that many people in Rwanda sought refuge in a church, thinking yeah, that did. if I could get in a church... I would be safe. Yeah. Many of the children from the orphanage that you were in went to a church yeah. to find safety. It was a common uh, desire for many people who they thought if they can go to the house of God, they would be safe. But uh, it didn't uh, just, it was not the case because many people were, who went to the church seeking refugee, they actually were killed. Okay, yeah. so they were killed within the church? Within the church, it happened. You know. And when the militia came and there were things that happened to yeah. you there in that church, in fact, many of the things that happened to you, you still live with today. Yeah, I do, because like today, I still struggling with the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which also I have amputation of my right leg, all those migraines, things like that, chronic pain, it just is the result of what happened okay, at so that time. Okay, so PTSD, chronic pain. Yeah, and migraines. The your right leg had to be amputated. Yeah. yeah. Um, chronic pain, migraines, yeah. all of that really is traced back to those times yes, yes. In, that, mm. in that church. Yeah. But again, God's faithful to protect you. You should have died in yeah. any of these situations, yeah, but God yeah. protects you. He gets you and several other of the children. Yeah. Um, are rescued and are actually placed on a plane and you're taken to Italy. Yes, yeah. You spend how many years in Italy? Uh, I spent uh, around three years in Italy. Three years in Italy. The first year you were in the hospital the entire yes, year. Yes, I was, yeah. And that's when they made the decision there that yeah, they could not they save could, your yes, leg. Yes, yeah. So they amputated your leg and you went through yeah. and, and you were still connected to a Catholic organization in Italy. In Italy, yes. And it was there that you began to hear 
um, from a priest who yeah. tried to encourage you because you you didn't want anything to do with God. You didn't want anything to do with Jesus because you felt like if Jesus is God's son and he's been yeah. cruel to me, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. So what does the priest tell you? Well, of course, while I was in Italy, I was baptized by a priest. He named him Cyprien. I don't know why he did. Maybe it's after Cyprien of Caritage. Uh, and then, of course, he as he told me about God, things like that. And I was still lost despite being baptized, being baptized there. So he, he just understand why I was struggling with God who made me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and he just suggests something. He said, maybe if there is any hope is through relying on Mary as a bridge to heaven, Some, maybe may help. So that was his suggestion, okay. which didn't work. So he was telling you to pray to Mary, and you're saying that didn't work. Yeah, it didn't. But, but there was something he said that God used later on because he used the word bridge, that Mary could be a bridge. Yeah. And, and later on, we'll see it in a minute, God yeah. gave you a dream. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. About a bridge, and you discovered that bridge was Jesus. Yeah, but but anyway, yeah. we'll we'll get to that in a yeah. second. But you were in Italy, and um, after you got out of the hospital, you were able to go back to school. And again, if you um, heard him, uh, the Catholic priest, when you were baptized there, named you Cyprian. So we yeah, got Cyprian Yamagira, and that's yeah. where that name yeah. came from. Um, and then the political climate in Italy changes. Yeah, I did. And they no longer will accept refugees from Rwanda. So they have to put you on a plane and send you back to Rwanda. Yes, they did. And not only did they send you back to Rwanda, but where did they send you? To the same place where I was born. They sent you to the village you were born in. Yeah. And you hadn't been there for, for years, years and years. Yeah. yeah. Um, they put him in a car after he arrives in Rwanda, they put him in a car, drive him to the village, and everybody in the village comes out because they had never seen a they car. Seen a car. <laughs> and so everybody's running up, seeing what in the world's going on, and you get out of the car, yeah. and nobody knows who you are, and you don't know I anybody. I didn't know them, even my, my parents. You didn't recognize your mom and dad? I didn't recognize them, they didn't recognize me. They didn't recognize you. <laughs> and even after you were reunited with them, they didn't want you? They didn't, and it was really still, you know, not a good reception. You were very sick? Yes, I was. It didn't take a uh, long time that I developed a diary and had a sickness, actually. Yeah. yeah, and so you realized you couldn't stay with mom and dad, so yeah. you go to the only place you've ever been loved. Yes, yeah. Back you, to that Muslim prostitute. So you travel back to the Muslim prostitute woman. She now has AIDS, yeah. um, and she's sick. Uh, not really able to take care of you. Yeah, she couldn't. And also I was grown up. So this time, so I knew I couldn't stay there a long time. But still, she wanted to help. And uh, she managed in bringing me in another Catholic orphanage, the different one. So she brought you to a different Catholic orphanage and you were able to, to, to move in there, continue yeah. your education, education, get a job. Yeah. Now, while you were there, you were in and out of the hospital with, yeah. with chronic pain yeah, and yeah. all of the other PTSD things that have happened as a result of, of what you've been through. Yeah. But it was while you were in the hospital that you met another lady who was a Pentecostal woman uh, by the name of Rosalie. And, and tell me about that. Well, at the time I was in the hospital lamenting of what I, I called the, you know, a cursed uh, life. And then uh, again, 
in God's mercy, he brought another person, uh, was a Pentecostal woman called Democrat Carissa Lozari. She was the person who just uh, noticed that uh, I needed Jesus, uh, I, I needed the hope, and he had to, to come from Christ. So she told me about Jesus, how to be saved, uh, and, and she told me that God is loving, he loved me, uh, and everything like that for me. But for me, I just couldn't accept that at that time, so I refused it. But later, God did miracles work in my life. Yeah, and the miracle was really through a dream, that you ended up having a dream. And, yes, and, I did. And through the vision uh, of the dream you saw, and, and and really it kind of solidified the gospel. Yeah, I did. I saw a dream, which I will not go in details, but the dream I saw was actually uh, supporting uh, the the what Mukakarisarosa was telling me about the Christ be the only way to heaven, be the only bridge to eternal life. And so through that, that's when I I was convinced by the power of the Holy Spirit and started repenting of my sins. It was radical changed by God. Radically changed by God. So God came into your heart, gave you hope yes. and peace and yes. joy. Yeah, he did. And all of a sudden, you want to share that with everybody. Yes, I wanted to do that, especially to share that to my parents uh, and also to that Muslim prostitute. Yeah. So you go back to your village to share the gospel. Yes, I did. And uh, you shared the gospel with mom and dad. They didn't get, they didn't accept Christ no. at that time. Yeah, no. Um, but you decided that since they were not listening to the gospel, you needed to show them what the gospel looked like. Yes. So what did you do? I did through reading the Bible and also through uh, learning from other mature believers. Uh, I knew that the gospel has to go to be accompanied with the action. So I know I knew my parents had the hearts that was not good in good shape. So through the work I had as lab technician and some provision from God, I was actually able to not only share the gospel but also to build a house for my parents. So not only did you share the gospel, you built a house for the parents yes. that had rejected you, that had really shut you out. Yeah. You built a house for them, but one other thing that you did, you were able to actually secure some land in that village to build a church because yeah. there was no church there. Yes, I did. Uh, for me, I think that's doing that, that was the, 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 the evidence of uh, true forgiveness. If I forgave my parents what they did to me, so I have to show it. So that's the way I did it. But also, uh, since I knew how God saved me, changed me, that was uh, through hearing the word of God, because the faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. I knew that my village, since I already forgave them and I want them to be saved, if God can save me, can save anybody. So I knew the way it can happen is that a church being built there. So Alongside with my dad, we gave a land where a church was built so that the gospel can be preached day by day. All right. So you began to preach the gospel. Now, this opens another whole chapter uh, because you began to share the gospel, but you had a heart for people that were Muslim because you were loved by that Muslim woman. 
So you began to go into Yes, I did actually Sudan. from Rwanda. I did that. I did share the gospel in many places because I knew that God saved me for a purpose. He saved me to use me. And so I want to be obedient to say like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. And so I shared the gospel, be obedient to that calling in Rwanda and beyond that Rwanda, like other countries, until I ended in North Sudan, Khartoum. But there... Uh, situation was very hard. Despite having a passport and a visa, I was actually detained, beaten, and thrown in prison just because of sharing the gospel. There. All right, so you go to North Sudan to share the gospel, and you're beaten. They take your papers away and throw you in prison. Yeah, even my crutches. They take your crutches yeah. too, throw you in prison. In prison in North Sudan, they don't feed you. It's the responsibility of your family if you're in prison to give food to you. So you had no family to bring you food. How did you eat? Well, I was uh, I was begging other prisoners, inmates that were there, uh, so they will they will get some food from their family members. So I will get some food from them, and I will preach the gospel to them, and they will offer food. All right. So you continue to preach the gospel in prison. You were released from prison. Um, and we're skipping over a whole lot of stuff, but you you were released from prison, but you went right back out in the street and began to share the gospel again. Yeah, I did because I was convinced that what I was doing was the right thing to do. I knew even though I was beaten, being prison, it was not because I did something wrong. It was because of the gospel. So I just had to continue doing that, which again made me be be brought back in prison again. So they put you back in prison again? Yeah, they did. Now, were you angry at God? Well, this time I was not because I knew, actually, I rejoiced being in prison and be persecuted because I knew that I was, uh, you know, facing persecution and challenges because of the sake of Christ. You know, I was doing what is right and I was being persecuted because of that. You understand why I have to sit sometimes for a minute and process after you were released the second time, and we've got a rush, after you were released the second time, um, North Sudan said, we don't want you here anymore, and they gave you... 48 hours to leave North Sudan. All right, so they said, we're getting you out of prison, but you got 48 hours to get out of here, leave. You can't stay in our country. So you go to Egypt. Yes, I did. And um, while you're in Egypt, several things happen, but one of the things happened, I think, is God solidified his calling on your life um, that you wanted to be an evangelist, and you really kind of began to feel a desire to go to a Bible college yes, I while you were yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. But how in the world are you going to do that? You're in Egypt. Yeah. You then decide, maybe I need to go to Israel. Yeah. Um, and through a series of miraculous events that we don't have time to get into, it's in the book, but um, through a series of miraculous events, you end up paying some rebels to take you to the border of Israel. Yes. So high speed, lights out, back of the truck, in the middle of the night, you end up at the border of Israel. Israel's shooting, Egypt is shooting, the rebels yes. are shooting, yeah. and they tell you to run. Yeah, um, run for my life. Run for your life. Yeah. And you got a broken prosthetic leg yes. and crutches, and it's raining and muddy, and you got to run for your life yeah. to the border. Gets to the border, yeah. miraculously, yeah gets to the other side of the border yeah. and 
the Israeli soldiers come up on you and put you in prison again. Yeah, they did, but this time the prison was not like North Sudan. There were no beatings. In fact, they allowed me actually to, to share the gospel in prison. So you had food, you had a place to sleep. You thought it was a hotel. Yeah, I thought it was like a hotel, and of course I was wrong. Inmates told me that because they were bad, uh, there were no beatings they provide they were providing some you know food and everything and they were kinder to me because they were always asking me the guards asking me to tell them about my story because they couldn't believe how i made it you know yeah they were they were asking him how in the world did you get over a 12 foot fence with razor wire at the top how did you get into israel and so you're going from one guard to another sharing the story of the gospel yes. yeah what well, Christ did and, in then, my life. and then um, God's favor again, because they're not accepting refugees from Rwanda, but they did appoint you an attorney, and she was able to help you get papers to stay in Israel, and you were able to share the gospel while you were there. Yes, actually, uh, God used a very kind Jewish lawyer who helped me in the process, so I was able actually to study at the Israel College for the Bible. So she was able to help you get in, and so you got into the Israel, Israel College of the Bible, and you spent one year there. Um, and God gave you such favor because you preached all over Israel. You preached in synagogues. Yes, I did. Several times. Different I mean, we're talking about Jesus in a synagogue, a okay. Jewish synagogue. He's the only hope for the Jews people. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I, one of my favorite stories, there was this one synagogue. The, the rabbi invites him to speak, and it's kind of rough terrain to get to the synagogue. And so the rabbi actually puts Cyprian on his back and carries him up that rough terrain to bring him into the synagogue where he could share the story of Jesus and the love of Jesus and all that God has done yeah, in and your this, life. This was actually an Orthodox rabbis. Yeah, which, Orthodox. Yeah. Wow, that's just... All right, so we, we got to fast forward. Um, through that process, you met so many different people. God gave you favor with so many different people, but... Um, one particular person from Weatherford, Texas, Larry, Larry who's here this morning, um, and Larry and his family lived in Israel, were working, I think you were Lockheed Martin, working in Israel, and um, you met uh, Cyprian, yes, and through the relationship you guys had with him, said, you need to go to Southwestern Seminary, and through connections, was able to get him accepted into Southwestern Seminary. So now all we need to do is get him to a refugee status so that we can bring him to America. And so with the Jewish attorney and other people, they were able to attain um, a status of refugee, and you were able to come to America. Yes. Uh, and you, were, you, you came here in 2017. Yes, 2017, yeah. I've got to tell this story real quick, and I hope you don't mind if, if we go over just a tad. But when you came to America, uh, you, the plane landed in um, New York. New York, or, yeah. So, or Newark, and you, you were put in a hotel room. Yes. Um, 
Well, what happened when you walked in the well, hotel? Because you had a doctor that came he, with you. Yes, I had a Russian doctor who was my escort. And, and then while I was there in Newark Hotel. Well, now, well, wait just a second. He had a Russian doctor that accompanied him on the trip as a refugee coming to America. And so what do you think he talked about on the way over here with a Russian doctor? Jesus. Uh, yeah, Jesus. All right. So we shared the gospel with him all the way over here. So you get to the hotel room and this is fun because all of us have been in a hotel room. You've never been in a hotel room. Yeah, so there were two beds, so I didn't know why two beds. Uh, since I was the one person, the doctor was had his own room, so two beds. Why two beds? So I decided to actually sleep in both beds. I slept in one and then in, until midnight and then the rest of the night I slept in the second one. <laughs> oh man. And after he came here, um, goodness, God has shown favor. You got your driver's license. Yes, I do. And uh, yeah. and you bought a. a yeah. We've got a car, and yeah. you've got a. You 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 control the foot pedal and the brake with your yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, and in fact, and the insurance company says you're a good driver. Recently, recently they sent me a notice telling that I'm a good driver, but I think because no one of them drove with me, that's why they can't do that. <laughs> I, th I think there may be some truth to that too. Yeah. Um, but during this time, we've established a nonprofit organization called Christ My Only Hope. And God has given favor. And let me tell you what we've been able to do. Um, through money and support that has been given through this ministry, we've been able to go back to the village where he grew up and build a large building. The largest building in the village where he grew up is owned by Christ my only hope ministry and it's a church and there's a church that meets there every week um, and you were able to go yes and yeah, I went and there you were able to go and preach there. in that church Again, yeah. and there was somebody special that came yeah when you preached at that church that Muslim prostitute came again so the Muslim prostitute woman came to the church this year and she brought friends with her. Yeah, she did. She All wouldn't. kinds of friends. She wouldn't come inside, but she was in the win window and other friends just watching, listening what I had to say. And when you got through, you went back outside to visit with her. And I did and shared the gospel with her. I even gave her my Bible and, 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 you know, because I want her to be saved. All right. Since he's been here, his mom and dad have come to faith in Jesus. They did. Praise God. Um, so they've been saved. We've seen many people in his village come to faith in Christ. His mom and dad were not married, but they got married after they, they uh, came to faith in Christ. And we've seen God do many things. But one of the great visions that you have, Cyprian, for the future yeah. of our ministry together, um, one of the reasons we have a large building there and we have two others, what is it that you ultimately want to do? Well, primarily, of course, I want many people come to the knowledge of the truth as much as possible. Uh, but especially, I, want, I have a heart to reach people with disability because if God can save me, he can save anybody. So you want to build an orphanage in your home village for children with disabilities? Yeah. So they can come and find love and grace and hear the gospel. Yeah, because uh, for me, as someone who experienced this hardship, I strongly believe that the greatest need for anybody, especially people with severe disability, is to know that Christ is the only hope for that person. Yeah. 
full circle. The day you were born, your village thought that you would bring a curse. Yeah, it is, and which is very interesting because they thought I was going to bring a curse, but I'm bringing blessings to them through the gospel. There, they thought I would be a curse. But God used every step of your life to bring you to a place that you have become a blessing for the people that are there. Remarkable story of a loving, gracious God. And there may be some of you that are listening today that don't have a relationship with that God. And I hope that you have heard through what we've said today that, that this is a God that loves you, that knows you. And no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced, Jesus came because he loved you. And there's an opportunity for you to have hope and peace and joy in life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the God that we've seen work in Cyprian's life. That's the God that he proclaims faithfully. His life verse is... John 14, 6. Six, yes. That says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except it through me. Yeah. That there's not a Baptist way or a Muslim way or a Catholic way or a Pentecostal way to heaven. There's only one way through faith in Jesus. And if you're here today and have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, our prayer is that today you would recognize your need and turn to receive the gift of God and eternal life that he offers to you. And um, our prayer is that through this book, Cyprian's prayer is that this book will become a resource to share the gospel. And we've um, worked hard to make sure the gospel presentation is clear um, through his story. But thank you, Cyprian. I am so blessed by you. And I'm grateful that you are willing to be a part of our fellowship. He's gone on mission trips with us to Japan. Um, this guy has gone in prisons in America to share the gospel. He'll go anywhere he's invited um, to share the gospel. And if you know of churches that would love to hear his story, tell them about him because um, our hope and prayer is that through this ministry, uh, the gospel will be preached. Well, would you join me in just saying thank you to Cyprian for his... From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us. 